0: Welcome to this episode of The Professional, a podcast series brought to you by ProfMed, a medical aid that understands that the professional of tomorrow is ever-changing. It's the middle of the night, sometime in the late 1980s, and a young girl stares into the darkness with wide, unblinking eyes. Her stomach is twisted in knots. She can't sleep, won't sleep. In this moment, She's terrified, not of the brutal, racist regime controlling her country, but of something else. A wave of ethnic violence is sweeping through apartheid-era Natal, black people killing black people, and the young Pasa girl is terrified that she and her family are next.
1: Very similar to the xenophobic attacks that was happening now. Um, There was a violence where... The Zulus were chasing out Kossas and Sutus because they were taking their jobs and their wives. I remember sitting there fearing, not even knowing how to sleep, and we would hear stories that, "Oh, they are now in Guanongoma they are coming here."
0: And this violence that's killing hundreds of people, it's being fueled by a toxic mix of rumor, speculation, and fear.
1: You would hear, for example, so we'll just be kids going to school and we'll hear that, hey, do you know that in the township they just entered and they just beat people? Or we'll be told, oh, they are coming tonight. And you will hear even the way the parents talk, and which is something that we really don't think about in terms of how we talk about our trauma in the presence of our children. So hearing the the fear also in my parents' voices. So when I went to sleep at night, there was just this fear that they are coming for us. We are next. We are going to be targeted. And for me, not making sense to say, but like, why are we being targeted? Just because we're closer, like, what?
0: what does this mean? What it eventually meant for the girl and her family was a move to the free state to escape the threat. But the fear she felt, the trauma of this kind of experience, it's not something you can just escape. And when it's woven into the fabric of a much bigger, collective wound like apartheid, it's even more difficult and crucial to untangle the threads. That's exactly what the young Xhosa girl who couldn't sleep has ended up spending her life trying to do. Working through her own trauma, helping others work through theirs, and in the process, trying to help heal a wounded nation. I'm Bongani Bingwa, and this is The Professional, a podcast from ProfMed about South Africans who are helping to forge new ways of living and working. In this episode, we're taking a long, hard look back so that hopefully we can see our future more clearly. We're talking about cycles of violence and what they can do to the psyche of a country. And we're finding out how, just like its people, our nation could do with a trauma counsellor too. In the midst of all the hurt and harm of apartheid, Nomfundo Mukhabi grew up knowing she wanted to help. None of what she was seeing made sense to her. Why couldn't her family vote? Why was her community treated so badly Why was her society so broken? And why weren't people talking about their pain?
1: There was a lot of stigma in engaging with your emotional issues and emotional pain, right? It's either my nerves or like in my home, they were very religious. So you go in, you know, you go to church and the church will sort you out. So what was happening is that just you were in this environment where as a child, you can feel that you are not okay. Are well, you experiencing all these things at a psychological level? But there's no space to interpret it and explain it f- to you. Because then as a child, and this is how children are anyway, that they use themselves as the, um, as, as, as their reference. So if there's no one who explains to me my pain and what I'm going through, then I think I'm the problem, right, which then feeds into my self-worth, self-concept this is happening because there's something wrong with me i'm the one who's a problem and unless somebody begins to challenge that you grow up having somebody who really has huge issues in terms of the relationship they have with themselves
0: numfundo's first instinct was to help heal people to become a doctor who could take away people's physical pain so she threw herself into a schoolwork but a year before she was due to matriculate something happened that totally shifted her perspective was
1: a very difficult year. I was in high school, and I was doing grade eleven. And for me, my education became my escape route. You know how it is when you grow up, and they're like, "Oh no, you're the clever one." So that's and and when when you've got issues of self worth. Remember, I, I said there was issues of self worth related to challenges at home, but also the whole um, infrastructure, psychological infrastructure of South Africa was about suppressing the wealth of a black person generally, but of a black woman. So I'm growing up with this, and then I'm told, oh, you are you are clever. Then that becomes my, the place that makes me feel like I'm worthy. And then there was all this protest because we were protesting for books. We didn't have books at school. So for that whole year, they took one of the leaders in, in protest to court. And as a result the students decided we're not going to go to school. I remember how traumatic that was. For me, I thought, this is the end. What will I do without schooling? So I stayed the whole of grade 11. Didn't write, just stayed at home. Um, But then that was also an opportunity for me. That's when I learned about clinical psychology because I always wanted to be a doctor. So I I went to the library. I started reading about A to Z careers in South Africa. And then I stumbled into this position called a clinical psychologist I was like wow I never knew there is something like this which speaks to my passion Um, so it was both I think a blessing in that I found my purpose in that pain but also it was was really very traumatic period for us
0: These days Nomfundo is a practicing clinical psychologist but she's much more than that too She calls herself a psychosocial activist And she's on a mission to get South Africa and Africa talking about its pain. We need, she says, a TRC for the soul.
1: So I always say that some of the problems that we have in South Africa is because we still have the unfinished business of the psychological work. And truth and reconciliation, first of all, means that we need to face the truth of what had happened to us at a psychological level. Most of us haven't really faced the psychic pain that we have experienced at a personal level, at a family level, at an institutional level, and at a collective level. South Africans, I always say South Africans don't deal. South Africans are asleep to themselves, which is dangerous because people who are wounded then end up wounding others because they are not aware. So the first one is just being awake to ourselves. Being awake to our pain, being awake to how much, like, it trauma, how has it affected the way you see the world? How has it affected the way you interact with people? And how has it affected what gets triggered? Because when trauma has not been dealt with, then you end up living a life of being triggered. Anything that reminds you of the trauma triggers you. And then you operate based on your triggering. And you don't operate from, in psychology, we talk about, you know, your reasoning part, your cortex. So you end up with a society of people who are constantly triggered. And, and when that happens, then the vision and the purpose, the thing that we should work towards together towards, gets affected.
0: Numbwondo first started getting interested in the psyche of a nation rather than its individual citizens during one of South Africa's most shameful periods in its young democracy a deadly issue that's recently resurfaced and threatens to boil over once again. She was working as a psychologist at the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation when reports first emerged of a disturbing new trend. Things changed for me
1: in 2008 when we had the eruption of xenophobic violence. And then I was the manager of the trauma clinic and media started calling us saying, you know, you work with violence, you work with Psychology can you explain what this phenomena is and for me i had a sense that there was definitely something psychological about it but the training that i had at university didn't help me to understand collective traumatization yeah and that's why for me i really believe that the knowledge around collective trauma is going to emerge from africa and it is emerging from a continent because we understand the sense of the collective so that's when I started then my journey in 2008 in venturing into understanding how collectives can actually be traumatized, that you could actually go into a society like South Africa and you can read its psyche and you can actually describe the level of trauma through some of the symptoms that you're seeing and, and that trauma get carried by the institutions, get carried by the people and that emerges also with the personal trauma that people are carrying.
0: When someone experiences a deeply threatening or terrifying event, it can trigger a type of anxiety disorder called post-traumatic stress disorder. The symptoms of PTSD include rage, mistrust, denial, destructive behavior, even self-harm. Medicine can help people recover, but the most effective treatment we've come up with to combat this kind of trauma is therapy the talking cure. Now, if you think of South Africa as one giant person, you start to see the signs. Gender-based violence, xenophobic attacks, school bullying, police brutality, even soccer hooliganism. They all look like symptoms of PTSD. Trauma can tear apart even the strongest of families, so no wonder we are struggling as a society. We're a nation that's hurting itself and taking our pain out on others too. Psychologists who study this phenomenon of countrywide PTSD call it collective trauma.
1: So so this work emerges from um, the historical work in psychology on groupthink. So for the longest time there had been an understanding that You can have a group having a psyche of its own. And this is separate from a culmination of individual psyches of the people. So the best example is when people have reached a group thing, a group think when they are together and they reach this heightened state where the psyche of the group becomes bigger than the individual. Right. So you see like a mob, like a mob mob justice and all of that. So emerging from that, and also some of the work from families, that families, uh, there's a lot of systemic work on families as a system. So when we're talking about collective trauma, we mean that this society as the South Africa has got certain traumas that can be called. So this work emerges from two uh, types of theories. So one of them is a chosen trauma, which says that a society can have a chosen trauma. So this is a trauma that gets experienced at a collective level. It shapes the way in which we engage with each other. It penetrates media, the movies. And what it does is that it is a trauma that was never grieved, that was never dealt with. So it begins to then shape the way in which people engage with each other, interact with each other. And I mean, in South Africa, definitely update could be considered a collective trauma. There's also a school of change theory which says that sometimes the way in which change happens in a society, um, for example, the way in which democracy was introduced in South Africa where people had high expectations, it was too sudden, people didn't know what to expect, and the way that change happens then also results into collective trauma. So you see it, for example, in the discourse of the country, uh, like in South Africa, We can talk about anything else, but when we talk about let's for example, simple thing like metric exams, the minute you talk about race, you realize that there's something that divides us. There's something at a psychological level that touches our chosen trauma. So it it also, you'll find that it also um, results into people either trying to avoid the topic. So you might have one sector of the society saying, this thing never existed. Like, why are you talking about it? Or you can have another society that really is is, is is feeling very agitated and angry towards that particular thing. So it really penetrates how people interact with each other. And then it gets transferred. And this is really the important thing is that if this trauma is not sufficiently dealt with with the present generation that experienced it, it gets transferred to the next generation. Then you just wonder, why are our children more angry than the other generations because then the next generation feels that psychologically they have to undo the injustices of the past.
0: The problem is treating a collectively traumatized country isn't like treating a person. You can't haul South Africa into a psychologist's office, tell her to lie down on the couch and ask her to talk about her feelings. But Nomfundo says that in a way that's exactly what we need to do. We all need to talk honestly and we need to do it soon before we inflict our trauma on yet another generation. In
1: life we go through these difficult experiences. What makes experiences traumatic is not whether it's difficult or not, it's whether when you have that experience there is a container, there's an environment that contains that experience and make it bearable. And, and parents are the first vehicle of making experiences bearable for children. But when parents are themselves traumatized, so my parents were also traumatized in living in apartheid South Africa, stories of my dad being excluded in the mines and all of that. So they didn't have the capacity to begin to even contain my own trauma. So then that experience for me as a child became unbearable.
0: And as a society, as a country, we were all traumatized across the board. Um, I think it was Nelson Mandela who made the point that black and white yep. were traumatized. Yeah. Uh, you speak of your your experiences, um, your memories of your father's trauma, but so were the people who lived in fear yeah. of what the blacks might do. So were the people who had to send their children to the army to be conscripts mm. to fight for this system yeah. to maintain a system that was unsustainable that was its own trauma. Yes.
1: I I really like the angle that you're taking because when I talk to people I say that there is a reason why it is called collective trauma. It says that as a collective we've been traumatized. On the one hand there was a group whose dignity and, and 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 sense of self-worth was stripped away from even before they were born because really the core trauma of apartheid is the trauma that says you are less than and you are worthless. But there was also another group that was told that your worth and value depend on another person being less than and being restricted of engaging with another person as a full human being. And there's a whole lot of other traumas, conscription and all of that. So as a society, we carry that collective wounding, which has then shaped the way in which we relate with spaces in our lives when we feel like we are less than and spaces in our life when we feel like we are better than. It has... What you find is that that has been shaped by the historical trauma that we had have, because I've been saying that currently in South Africa we've got crisis of the elite. It's in South Africa and in Africa generally, when we become the elite, the only role models of what it means to have is those who... Subjugate. ...abused power, yes. And... We almost become the mindset that created the same problems that resulted into apartheid becomes the mindset that drives the present problems that we have, even though you can change the face of who is actually holding that. And that's really important to understand the collective trauma of privilege and the collective trauma of not being privileged and being disadvantaged and how it is shaping present-day South Africa.
0: A big part of why it's so important to talk about our collective trauma and to talk about it now is that it's starting to feel like South Africans are losing hope. Hope was always what carried us through our darkest hours. Hope for an end to the suffering, hope for a better life, hope for the future. And there was never a more hopeful moment in our history than in 1990 when Madiba walked out of prison.
1: I can never forget that day. I was um, I was at home, and I saw him come out, uh, holding Mama Wini, and he raised his hands. and And for me, I think the words that stood with me were "never again." And at that moment, there was just this personal hope that I had that wow, we will never again see the kinds of violence that we saw when we grow up wow things are going to change and just the excitement at that um, coupled with the excitement when I went to vote for the for the first time and I remember my sister and I were singing we went to vote it was in a primary school then we went we were singing out loud I mean the excitement there was tangible both at a personal level but at home but just in the in the whole country and yes definitely just as much as collectives can be able to have level of hopelessness, it is possible and that's really where leadership is important. It is possible that you can have leadership and people that speak to the hope of society and motivate them towards a a a vision. That is bigger than themselves. And I think for me that day, that is what was raised to say we can actually be able as a country to overcome whatever adversaries that we can have.
0: Hope is something that is yet to be attained. A vision is something that has not yet arrived. Tell me about the importance of the reconciliation project. Tell me about the importance of a new identity that was being forged, the sense of South Africanness. People may speak disparagingly of it, but the Rainbow Nation ideal was a very, very important concept yeah. for the young South Africa.
1: So, interestingly, we've just done a, a research two years ago into some of the communities that we work with and uh, trying to understand like what is some of the drivers of violence and especially you know we've talked about the socioeconomic stuff driving this violence and I was saying can we find out what is some of the psychology behind it and interestingly research is emerging to say that the linkage is that in spaces where people are beginning to lose hope there is higher levels of violence than in spaces where there's no hope at all
0: A famous poem tells us Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But that's not true when it comes to hope. If someone has hope, if a nation has hope and then has to watch it fade, that's somehow worse than never having had any hope in the first place. So to go from a place where South Africans really thought we could start to see one another, where we thought we could live together in a rainbow nation, to go from there To where we are now, it's very difficult for all of us.
1: And it's not just only seeing each other, Bongani, it's seeing ourselves. Because I always say to people that my capacity to see you is dependent on my capacity to see me. When I have not been seen and I haven't seen myself, I will not see you. So I think that was the, the moment was about saying, oh my gosh, we matter. We are important, we are significant. And we bring this sense in working together towards a common
0: purpose. What happens when a hope like that does not materialize, at least in the sense that people look back and they say, 25 years on, nothing's changed. What happens when that hope is deferred?
1: I'm, I'm literally having a physical reaction to it because... This is what I've been saying for the longest time, that it's actually more dangerous to have a hope and to lose it than to have never had it at all. So this sense that you were at your lowest, lowest, and then you got into this high that things are going to get worse. By the time you go back to the low, it's not the same low that you were in. It's actually even lower. So the loss... Of that hope accompanied by feelings of because then when you lose that hope there is a huge sense of betrayal like why even raise my hopes why even tell me that things are going to get better only to come and snatch it away so at a psychological level for a society to do that it has a, a much more deeper psychological impact than if people had no hope at all
0: Maybe part of the reason we're seeing all the hurt, all the violence, all the hatred in South Africa at the moment, is that we've started to lose hope. And when that happens, we lash out at people from other countries or at our own families. We hurt ourselves and each other. And Omfundo says we do it on a range of different levels.
1: The first one is at a family level, right? So when you have people who haven't who haven't seen each other, you end up seeing high levels of conflict within the family because the people who trigger us the most are the people that we love the most and those are the people that we hate the most. So the high levels of violence in our own families, the high levels of violence that we then also take to us, our children, our spouses, is an indication of people who are themselves wounded who therefore wound others. We see it in our institutions. So part of the trauma of of, of our institutions were that is there were institutions that were not designed to support the dignity of people. So you see it in how people who are poor, when they go to hospitals, they feel that they are t- treated less than. And we've worked in hospitals where we will go and people will say the nurses treat us like we are less than, like we don't matter, like we are nothing. When we go to the nurses, they say to us, but our managers treat us like we are less than. We've worked with the managers. They say, but it's not us. It's actually the province and the way they treat us. So what happens is that this treating of each other is less than. This anger, this frustration gets her treated to different levels. And at a societal level, of course, you see an eruption of... Um, Violence such as mob justice, xenophobic violence, and some of the high levels of sexual and gender based violence that we have seen increasing in our society.
0: Can there be anyone more brutal than the brutalized?
1: That's a very powerful, powerful. When the brutalized has not faced their brutalization and dealt with their brutalization, unfortunately, they end up becoming that which they hate.
0: And so the cycle of violence begins all over again. The abused becomes the abuser. And too often, the people who bear the brunt of that abuse, that self-hatred, are women and girls.
1: We need to have a conversation about gender-based violence at a number of levels. I think there's a conversation that needs to be had. first of all, historically around how we dealt with sexual and gender-based violence of the past. We haven't dealt with sexual and gender-based violence that had happened during the struggle. And my question is, if leaders have not even faced their own sexual and gender-based violence, how do they even begin to lead the process now, right? The second one is, I had always said that, and I know it's highly contested within within feminists, and it's not... Is an explanation, is not an excuse. Studies have shown that there is a direct correlation between exposure, exposure to violence at home and later on perpetrating sexual and gender-based violence. And I had said that behind every perpetrator, there is a traumatized young boy. And the question of how we have dealt with the trauma of these males who they get triggered and they've got this violence and, of course, the trauma of patriarchy at the same time. So... Even the history of South Africa, the history, it was, it was, yes, it was racial, but it was very much rooted in apartheid and the definition of what it is to be a man. And the messages that came to some of these boys about what men is, and some of their witnesses of violence that they have not dealt with. And now as adults, they are perpetuating the same tr- the
0: violence. Break that down for me. What was it that men were told they were not and needed to be That they enforced through violence in the home.
1: So, some of the things, for example, that they get told that now that we are daughter, it means that you are the one who's in charge and in control. And go by daughter or to be a man means that women must listen to you. Women are less than. Women are objects. Um. They are there to save you. they are there to listen to you. and you even listen how men joke when I was growing up I mean as a child, I would hear my my dad and his brothers always laugh, but don't you know there was a joke like you know the woman is controlling you and and it was a humiliation for a man, so the man had to prove that I mean being in charge of my wife being in charge of my woman means that now i 'm in charge or I 'm in control. And also there was a definition of manhood depended on, pro, on, on on you being a provider. So if you don't work, if you don't have money, you are not a man. Um, we even see it happening now where mothers will actually say to their boys, I don't care how you do it, humble panda, window dangoku. So this definition of manhood around control of women, but also around providence and access of money.
0: And so we even see today leaders who mean well talk about the need to protect our women.
1: Just again, it's saying we are trying to solve the problem, but we're using the same narrative and mindset that created the problem, that women are not independent adults who can control their lives and have a sense of agency. We can only solve the problem if men come there to protect them men are protectors of women so if I'm your protector and you don't listen to me then I've got a right to do all I can to try and control you there's even men who would say no I beat her up because she's my woman she told me she's going late at night and I need to protect her and I don't know where she is I am responsible for her and this and, and here's the thing Ebongani, that we have to appreciate is that this thing has been happening over centuries and years and most of this stuff has been normalized.
0: Why do we have a femicide crisis, though? Why, do, why are we seeing across the board, across class, across race, people turning on those whom they profess to love and murdering them?
1: We have a violence crisis with femicide being one of them. And I always say that for us to understand this crisis of violence in South Africa, including femicide, We really have to begin to understand the psychological architecture of our society, Bangani. And we've talked about this, but I want to summarize that. And I say to people, this wound is personal. We've talked about the personal traumas that people have experienced, right? This wound is familial. We've talked about the traumas that are experienced at a family level. This wound is institutional. On a daily basis, you've got institutions that confirm how you are less than, how you are worthless, and this wound is um, collective, and most importantly, this wound is historical, right? So this sense of the hatred of mice, any man or any person who attacks another, especially the person that they love, that which they do to that person is an indication of the level of self-hatred, Right? that they themselves are actually holding. There's no way you can love and appreciate yourself and and your personhood that you will attack those you love. You know, I've always been saying that we are facing a ticking time bomb in South Africa specifically, but in Africa generally. If we don't fully appreciate this wound that I've talked about, that is staying at a personal collective level, and... Then we bring in this digital revolution. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. But if we don't understand the impact that it will have in our societies, and how this level of inequalities are going to likely to fuel the types of violence that we are having in our society, then we are really going to be in trouble. So it's it's it's, it's not a luxury for us to address socioeconomic transformation. It's not a luxury for us. To address psychosocial interventions, because the, the 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 digital um the digital age is coming, the fourth uh, in 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 revolution is digital revolution is coming. we, we can't. Help it! It is going to happen whether we like it or not. If we don't begin to plan, as long as and one of the biggest challenges in South Africa and, and Africa, Bongani, is this sense of thinking that psychological stuff is soft stuff. You know, it's just a few people that need to do it. It's it's welfare. If we don't begin to see it as a crucial component of development and of transforming our society, then we're going to be in bigger problems than where we
0: are. Nomfundo believes that to head off this potential crisis in our country and our continent, we need to double down and focus on the stuff that matters, or rather, the people who matter. And we need to do it across the board, in our families, in our companies, in our governments, because Africa's population is exploding. And in the next 40 years, one in every four people on the planet will call this continent
1: home. I mean, it's three things, right? It's the fourth industrial revolution. It is the the growth that we're going to have in terms of our population and it's the urbanization because Africa is the fastest growing continent in terms of urbanization. And most of this violence that we see is located within urbanization. That's where the inequality is. And our crisis is that We are wanting to create a prosperous and a better Africa. But for us to do this, the key vehicle is the human and human capital. So when the human capital is broken or non-existent as a result of the trauma, as a result of mental health, and by the way, there's also an exponential increase of mental disorders in our country. So we've got a crisis that says if we have all these things that are happening that have got huge opportunities but we don't invest in the people and we take these broken, wounded people who then wound and brutalize others we put them in positions of influence and leadership what is going to happen? Look now in Africa as to how many countries are in conflict in our continent precisely because we've neglected the importance of human beings in our interventions.
0: What happens when the machines take over?
1: (laughs) We are in crisis. If the machines take over and we are not even ready to deal with ourselves as a people, how do we even begin to deal with the machines? If we ourselves are not united as a people, what is going to happen when the machines take over?
0: What What do we do to prepare for this new world, for this coming century? What can we do as a traumatized people.
1: So some of the work that I have been doing, you know, I now call myself a psychosocial activist in the continent, is to literally try to do advocacy with people who are involved in development in, in development projects and saying to them that you can't just come and do development without investing in healing and psychosocial support. Because our our biggest crisis is that most of the investment of trauma only come in when the the development agencies say that there's a, there's a humanitarian crisis and then they pull out and they say, oh, now we're doing development. And what we're trying to say is that in Africa and in places where there's such high levels of trauma, You have to also make sure that you invest in in, in trauma work, in coaching. Some of the things that I do, for example, Bongani, when they fund our organizations, I tell my donors... If you want me to have managers and leaders in my organization, then give me money for coaching because I'm not going to have anyone to manage people in a traumatized society like that if they don't get personal coaching, they don't deal with their trauma because I'm creating even more of a crisis. So we have to start having conversations like that. We have to start going to institutions and saying simple things. You can't say you're going to do performance management with a person who's traumatized themselves because you yourself are going to deplete the very same workforce I mean, I don't know how many people who are brilliant in South Africa, some of them are beginning to commit suicide just because the the institutions are not able to support them. So I think in summary, I am saying that our interventions need to integrate trauma healing, psychological healing, coaching as an integral part of creating a better Africa.
0: Looking back on the terrifying period of her life in Natal, Numfundo has some advice for her younger self, that girl who couldn't sleep because she was afraid of what might happen to her and her family. And it sounds a lot like advice that we should listen to as a country as well.
1: I guess I will go back to her. And the first thing that I will tell her is to say that you matter, you are important, you are the driver of your life you've got your own agency the greatest project in your life is yourself if you can invest in yourself and in your healing you've got the power to make a change wherever you can
0: maybe that's something you should say to all of us
1: that actually the greatest work is for most of us who are not parented by our parents because some of them as much as they love us they couldn't We need to go back and do that work so we reparent that young boy, that young girl inside of us. Which is because all these young girls and young boys inside of us need is to be validated, is to be heard, and for us to mirror back their worth. Once that happens, then I'm telling you that as a society we are going to begin to thrive. Just it, it just takes one person making a difference and that person being put in a space of leadership and influence that we can begin to transform and create the South Africa that we want.
0: You've been listening to The Professional, a podcast from ProfMed about how successful South Africans are helping to redefine work and life in the 21st century.